right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is your week 11 college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me as always is Colin Wilson. We have a shit ton to get to. I should start off by saying, like, it was really nice for the Ray Guy Award for the committee to send me an email this week and list all the punters, like, that are on the list. And I almost wanted to respond back and say, why is this not the Matarazzo Award? I mean, literally, I think it needs to be renamed. We'll get, get to that game later, but, like, I love award season because you and I are now voters in a lot of these things. And uh, when, when the Ray Guy email comes in, I'm just thinking to myself, there's already – the winner's already been determined. There, we might as well not have any more punts. Yep. Uh, I wrote that game up, and I went into about half the write-up is about the punts, but we'll get to that. I just did my Blitnikoff voting, by the way. I gave, so some, I, love yeah. to, I gave some love to Jareth Stearns, by the way. Be, uh, for Zappy Hour. Bailey Zappy. He was one of my 10 semifinalists. He has 104 catches on the year, by the way. Yeah, let's. there's no reason to uh, chit-chat anymore. We have a lot of games to get to. I think we're going to get to like 25 games. So let's get right into it. And let's start where we always start with look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, so this is for those that are new here. Welcome. But this is where we look at next week's card, sometimes the week before, and try to determine, okay, is the team going to be looking ahead? Situational spot, these are college kids. Maybe a team will take its foot off the gas a little sooner, not show much, go a little vanilla. So we'll see if there's any good situational spots here. Got three on the card for this week. The first, Utah at Arizona. By the way, Utah six and three. That over, I think I have over eight and a half wins. Is that the win total? Yeah. Eight and a half. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to come down to that Oregon game at home next week. Utah minus 24 and a half at Arizona, total 54. Reason this is on the list, Utah plays Oregon next week. Uh, obviously, a big game, and this game is not uh, going to lowly. Arizona, who's coming off a win. They finally got a win. It took them playing a, a roster completely crushed by COVID that ended up causing Cal to have to cancel their game this weekend. So does Utah show up here is the question. When I look at this game, the Utah offense is first in, in the country in EPA per rush. But the Arizona D's actually been decent against the run. So one thing that they can, they can do. And Arizona does play a little fast. But their offense is dreadful. I mean, they're 110th in EPA per play. They're now under their third-string quarterback, who has no touchdown throws, five and a half yards per attempt in three games. So the way I look at this game, I cannot see Arizona's offense doing much against Utah. You can hit some explosive runs against not, but Arizona can't do that. I, I can't really see a path for Arizona putting up many points here. Utah should get theirs, and then I think they're going to sit on it. 
and they're going to run it a lot. They're not going to show much. Let's get out of here healthy. Uh, so I like this under 54. I know Arizona's D is not good, but I think that this game script and situation sets up for an under, maybe like a 38-10-ish Utah win. Anything here? Get to Tucson, get the win, get out. I think that's the game plan. I think you're exactly right. The play that I that I was going to make is it kind of follows that script. I don't think there's a value from a numbers perspective. Uh, you know, the more I make this 19, so it's a little inflated. So Utah wants to pass through town. They want to score enough to win. That means they'll probably want to get a three possession lead before they sit on the ball. The Wildcats are the dead are dead last in the nation in turnover margin. I think that's the problem with backing Arizona here. You say, well, the spread's inflated. Yeah, but it's also a Wildcats team that is worst in the nation in turnover margin. So. You know, they're still dealing with injuries to multiple starters. I mean, their their whole entire injury list is full of questionables. Utah had 441 yards on the ground against the Stanford defense, and Arizona's 75th in line yards. So, you know, this could be a big night for Cam Rising. I, he just catches fire, and he looks like a guy that could contend for the Heisman. But then they have gaps of possessions where they don't score at all. This is a game where they get it in and they get out. So Utah right now is listed at minus 14 for the first half. I think full game under is a good play, but I think betting on Utah to get it done in the first half and then sitting everybody's a better play. So I'll be Utah minus 13 the first half. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. Yeah, another thing to keep in mind is like you have Oregon on deck. So, you know, why shows too much? Why risk injury? And then why wear down? It's going to be 90 degrees in Tucson on Saturday. So, you know, there's no reason to, to go all out with your starters on any additional plays that you don't need to play. Second spot we have here, it's Southern Miss at UTSA. reason this is on here, UTSA has UAB on deck, and that game could determine the division, depending on if UAB wins at Marshall. We are going from the Arizona offense to the Southern Miss offense. The Southern Miss offense makes the Arizona offense look like the greatest show on turf. I mean, this is an offense that – is the worst in the country. Uh, it's dead last in EPA per play, dead last in yards per play, 3.3 yards per play. Is that good? They don't turn it over. They're down to a walk-on quarterback. At least they don't turn it over. They don't do anything. They can't do anything well on offense. UTSA, by the way, 33.5 point favorite here, over under 54.5. I kind of have the same sentiment. Okay, UTSA, do they just want to, in the second half, we're going to sit on it, we're going to run it. The Southern, Southern Miss, just like Arizona, the one thing that they can do is defend the run. They're decent in that department. They stink everywhere else. So, you know, the UTSAD has been great. They're top 30 across the board and everything that you want. So I think you get a lot of McCormick foot off the gas late. Same deal. I have the same handicap as that as the Utah game. I like this full game under. I think it's around the same number, 254. So I think it does come into play with UTSA saying, all right, look, we got a big lead. Let's take our foot off the gas. And this Southern Miss offense, I mean, I, they're incapable of scoring points. You're talking about outputs of yeah, the last four weeks, 13 against UTEP, zero against UAB, 10 against Middle Tennessee, 14 against North Texas. I mean, that's bad. And against North Texas defense, by the way, they had 220 total yards, 4.4 yards per play. Uh, so, yeah, it's scary because, you know, you're, you maybe UTSA puts up a 50-burger, you know, similar to either Toledo under, you know, something like that could happen. But I, I show some small value, and I think the, the side here is – I should say the total here is the under 
I'll be playing it small. Anything here? Yeah, I'm not going to play an under here on this game, and I'm going to take the same approach I took with the Arizona uh, with the Utah game. And and really, I did some digging because I wanted to. I, I thought the under would be a good play too, but then I did some digging on both sides with both teams, and I I, I said this is just bad. This is a really bad situation. So not only is Southern Miss dead last in a lot of offensive categories, I won't bore you with stats. I, instead, I will tell you what Will Hall said at his presser this week. He said that the roster is so thin that Monday and Tuesday of this week, they move guys around from position to position just to create a depth chart so they have a two deep. This is just to get them through the end of the season. We're talking linebackers moving to running back. We're talking offensive players moving to linebacker. We're They, they don't even have enough players healthy to fill a two deep with scholarship players. And Will Hall said that there are people playing positions for the first time ever in this game. Uh, if you're keeping count, Southern Miss has had five different quarterbacks start, three different centers. All right, so uh, as much as there, this number is outrageous because it should be 24 and a half on UTSA, but it's 33. And as much as the I project this at 51 and it's at 54, the 50-burger thing is in effect. Because when I flip over to the UTSA side, it's an orange out. Right. And so what that means is they're asking everybody to wear orange. Let's all get together. We want a huge crowd. And you think, well, okay, well, it's just an orange out. They're trying to generate some interest for a home game. But then there's this whole set the expectation thing going on. And I'm not going to get into off field politics or anything, but there's a lady named Brenda Tracy, who is the founder of the set the expectation. She's a a victim of sexual abuse. UTSA was the first university in the nation to implement the Tracy rule. And they are celebrating that at the what they're calling the set the expectation game and having an orange out. So when Stuck says there might be a 50 burger, I think there might. I think there really will be a 50 burger. I don't think Jeff Trailer still feels uh, like he's been acknowledged by the college football playoff, even though they're in there now. By the way, succession, best line of the weekend. Uh, tell dad, meet meep. Meep meep. Can't wait to be tweeting that out during the game this week. But I went UTSA first half minus 20. That is a large number. I mean, if I project the game at 24, taking UTSA first half minus 20 is large. But when you consider the fact that Will Hall's talking like we don't even have enough players to fill a two deep, we have people starting this week that have never played the position before. I don't know what number is big enough for to keep me off of a first half. Uh, that makes some good points. I haven't played it yet, so maybe I'll take a, a second glance. That's why we do this podcast to give differing opinions but um yeah i did read that and i was thinking my thought process there maybe southern miss team total under is the way to go and let me let me say that last week's score was a little uh misleading because north texas austin ani uh the the quarterback threw a pick six early i mean they, southern miss got up 14-0 but they were given seven points right away so it was a little misleading and you know what they have yeah, they scored. did nothing they had like four yards yeah. to play and they they haven't scored 20 points since grambling in week two so, yeah, Southern Miss team total unders. Are gonna, I mean, new players and new positions. Woo. Yeah, but it's going to be if the spread is 34 and the total is 54, then you're talking 44 to 10. Yeah. Uh, that's not a lot. That's so it's a t- team total of 10, 10 and a half. Maybe if we can get 10 and a half. But my thinking was that with all, with all those personnel issues, that Southern Miss is going to play a lot slow, even slower, just mm-hmm. because they're like, we're so under. We're so under, man. But um, all right, let's move on to the last look at or look away spot here. Iowa State at Texas Tech. Texas Tech, 10 and a half point home dog over under 58 and a half. So here's the situation for Iowa State. You know, they've had, they come into this year, it's been a disappointing year. They're six and three, but 
if you look a little closer, they 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 lost to Baylor on a kick return for touchdown. They actually outplayed them. They lost to West Virginia on maybe the worst officiated game of the year. Some of you that watched that would understand a couple of bad, horrific spots and calls. And then they lost to Iowa in a game they dominated. Like this is a team that easily could be nine and up. But despite three losses, and luckily for anyone that tailed me on the Big 12 futures, they're actually in a decent spot for the Big 12. If you know, considering they have three losses, here's what they need to do. They need to win out. You know, they have TCU at home. They're at Texas Tech here. They're at Oklahoma next week. If they win that game, the only thing that they need to happen to get to the Big 12 championship is for Oklahoma to beat Baylor and Oklahoma State. That's it. So, you know, I, I was looking back like a week ago. I was figured Iowa State is dead, but not the most far-fetched scenario. Does Iowa State get caught looking ahead to that uh, Oklahoma game? That is the question. I make this right around 10. I don't think it's bettable. Texas Tech is off a bye, by the way. It's a pretty good spot for them. But I don't think it's bettable because I don't know who's going to be quarterback for Texas Tech. So Texas Tech quarterback Donovan Smith, who came in against uh, Oklahoma after Henry Columbia got hurt and then he came in. So Donovan Smith's either going to make, the freshman's either going to make his first collegiate start or Tyler Shug could be back making his first start since the Big 12 opener seven weeks ago. Interim coach Sonny Cumbie said it's going to be one of those two and because Columbia's been dealing with a sickness and he's been ruled out. So I don't know who's going to play because I think that if this kid's getting his first start against this Iowa State defense, it's not going to end well. If Shug is playing and then it's a good spot and he's healthy, I could see. So there's way too much uncertainty for me. I also don't know how Texas Tech is going to play. They actually played super slow against Oklahoma in Cumbie's first game. But this is a guy who wants to throw. He's not the coach now, right? So they named a, a, another coach. Over those these two weeks, does Cumbie, he's like, are right, we going to play fast and throw it a lot? I don't know. Hard to project. A lot going on. A lot of uncertainty. I think this is pure stay away. And I was on the fringe of playing Texas Tech. And a lot of the things that you said. Now, before beating Texas, Iowa State allowed 300 yards in the air to three straight opponents. Their coverage rank just continues to fall. Texas Tech, they're not going to be able to stop Brees Hall. So I could see a situation where you would want to take the over. I could see a situation where Texas Tech is covering this. Maybe the game lands on 10. It's a number I power rate at eight and a half, but there has been resistance in the market at this 10 and a half number. And you're right. Donovan Smith kid has looked great against OU, but Tyler Shug coming back. We don't know if this is going to be the game. It sounds like it could be, but it's going to be one of the two. And Shug is going to be dressed out. I mean, they have to have some depth at the quarterback position. And, you know, Sonny Cumbie's now under a microscope, like you said, for a new job. I, I thought he was a shoe in to get this job. I thought he was a shoe in to get TCU, but Sonny Dykes is probably going to get TCU here. But Iowa State's 109th in passing downs explosiveness. And whether it's Smith or Shug, the ability to run the ball is what can get this cover. I'm not sold on the ISU secondary whatsoever. Uh, before they played a Texas team that is just absolutely imploding right now on field, off the field, monkey field, whatever you want to say, uh, Iowa State's just giving up way too many yards in the air. So uh, I think Texas Tech can cover here. I'm, I have a shove money over the counter. Uh, it's the side that I want to go. Texas Tech's offensive finishing drives needs to be paid attention to. The Red Raiders are 17th in the nation when they get past the 40-yard line. Then on the other side of the ball, Texas Tech is almost dead last in defensive finishing drives. So I can make a case for the over. I can make a case for Texas Tech covering. Let's get to what most of you came here for, and that's the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week 11. 
All right, we got seven marquee games to get to. Seven. Let's start off with the noon kick between Michigan and Penn State. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. This line is floating around pick all week. I think Michigan is now a one-and-a-half-point favorite over under 48-and-a-half. This is a difficult handicap for me. Well, number one, I project Michigan as a two-point favorite, as I said on our Sunday podcast, so there's no, there's going to be no play on the side for me. Michigan's dealing with a lot of injuries, which is you know receiver, corner, tight end, McNamara, their quarterback, running back. They're basically down to just Haskins. The question is, is Michigan going to be able to line up you know, they're, they're, they're if instead of a t- another tight end, they usually put two tight ends. There might just be another offensive lineman in there. And they, are they just are they going to be able to bully Penn State the way that Harbaugh wants to play? The way that we saw Illinois, we saw Illinois do this to Penn State in Happy Valley. On the other side of the ball, because I don't think that Michigan's going to get much through the air. It's also going to be windy here. I think the Penn State secondary can match up. They're just the, the weapons are underwhelming for Michigan. So it's going to come down to their rushing offense against Penn State. I think they're going to be able to move the ball some on the ground. Yep. The thing is, with Penn State, though, they lock down in the red zone. Their red zone D has been elite. They're holding teams at 20, a 29.4% touchdown rate. Only Clemson and Georgia are better. The other side of the ball, you have Penn State, who can't run the ball at all. Incapable of running the ball. So Michigan doesn't have to worry about that. And that's been one of Michigan's weaknesses. Right, we saw them get gashed by Rutgers. We saw them get gashed by Michigan State. So now their ends, who some project both of them, their edge rushers as top twenty, top twenty picks in the NFL draft. They they can come off the edge just full abandoned, coming after quarterback. The strength of the Michigan defense is their pass rush, and their secondary. So the focus is going to be on can you cover. Dotson, who might be the best receiver in college football right now in the slot. I mean, what did he have? 234 yards running slants against Maryland. So Dax Hill is going to be tasked with trying to help out there. All eyes are going to be on Dotson and the passing attack for Penn State. So my first thought was under here. There's some wind. Penn State does play fast. And then, you, you know, so I started to say, okay, Penn State plays fast, but Michigan doesn't have to worry about the run. And that is key because – you know, you might be thinking, all right, well, when Michigan State went up tempo, it caused Michigan all kinds of problems. The only reason that that happened is because Michigan was trying to sub in big bodies for small bodies on passing and, and running downs, right? So say Penn, Michigan State gets a first down on third down, tempo, and then Michigan was trying to get big bodies in at linebacker so they could stop Kenneth Walker, right? You One of the best running backs in college football, Penn State, you don't have to worry about their running game. Right? They, they're not getting a push on the offensive line. So I don't think that the up-tempo and the subs – and by the way, it's going to help that Michigan saw that, uh, you know, saw that up-tempo. And, but I, they don't have to worry about subbing the big bodies for the small bodies at linebacker and, and defensive line. So I think it's a good matchup for the Michigan defense, given what Penn State could do. Now, obviously, if Dotson goes nuclear – there's nothing you can do, but I'm sure the focus is going to be on bracketing him and doubling him and making sure that he doesn't beat you. So uh, my, I think the side is right. My look here from the start is the under, I saw you put in a first half under. Yeah. Both these teams, I think, you know, Michigan's going to come out conservative. The other thing I like is Michigan doesn't turn it over. 
um, at all, and they don't really throw risky throws. So I think that you'll see like a feeling out process early on. I trust Clifford not to make mistakes. So I think that helps in, in regards to field position. And, you know, and if one of these teams gets way behind and it could get dicey. So I, I might be joining on the first half under. I'll uh, wait for your thoughts here. Yeah, I, this is a game that confused the hell out of me on open because it's a number that I project Penn State minus 2.7. And wow, we're opposite there. We are. And then I went and checked SP plus Penn State minus 2.5. I went and checked Sagarin. and they have Penn State fair. I, I and then there's a couple other power ratings systems out there. Uh, some, you know, some bookmakers that I'm friends with that I trust and they all make it a pick, which is where it opened. Right. So I'm not surprised yeah. that that was the number. But when Michigan took heavy money, I think Tuesday morning, it, it, it got blasted up to one and a half. There was some buyback to one at some sharp shops. But listen, one and a half is out there. And, and that was real sharp money that really hit that. I mean, I've heard some some uh, very credible sources about why they hit it. And, you know, I was pretty much focused on the under in this game. I just I didn't want a piece of this until maybe it got to two and a half. And maybe you could pay for a three. I, I don't think I'm very interested in getting into this, but I can make a case as to why I took the under. And maybe that'll give us a reason before you and I do our live show on Saturday, maybe to pick a side. So Blake Corum is going to miss this game for Michigan. And that's going to put all of the work on Hassan Haskins. He's expected to get the prime workload in this game where Cade McNamara, we don't know his injury status. Harbaugh said uh, he was not feeling well on Monday whatsoever from an injury perspective. And then on Tuesday said, well, he feels better than he did yesterday and he'll be able to go in the game, but he's beat up. He's hurt. And that means that there's going to be more, of the backup, the J.J. McCarthy kid who likes to throw interceptions and fumble the ball at any point in the time. I don't know why this kid keeps getting snaps when Cade McNamara was healthy. You know, I mean, he's an explosive play. That's he brings the explosion. He's the uh, he brings the highs and lows. Boy, he yeah, you're right. The highs and the lows here, which could decide a game when when it's so tight like this. But you know, Penn State's given up an abundance of rushing yards, and we I've said this three weeks in a row now since P.J. Mustafer got hurt at, at the defensive interior spot. Illinois goes for 357 on the ground in between the tackles. Ohio State goes for 160, 7.3 yards per play on the ground. In standard downs, over seven yards per play. Uh, Maryland didn't even try to run the ball. I don't know what the hell Maryland was doing. I'm glad we bet them and that didn't work out. They didn't even try to run the ball. I'm still a little hot about it. They they threw 35 more times than they ran. So I don't know what the game plan was for Loxley, but they didn't even try to attempt to go after the Penn State defensive line. Michigan will, though. Michigan will run the ball and go after that line. Now, if you go and check AccuWeather for this noon Eastern kick, wet snowflakes is what is, is, what is forecasted at and the 50-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah, and a lot of winds. So uh, that plays, and, uh, you know, the game is not going to come down to Cade McNamara throwing the ball at all whatsoever. It's going to be running. Uh, it's going to be between the tackles. It's going to be right at that soft spot at that Penn State defense. So that is a case for slow tempo, not a lot of points being scored. And, hey, Stuck already mentioned it. Penn State's second in the nation in defensive finishing drives. They may give up this run, but once they get down past the 40, past the 20, they don't give up anything. Second best in the nation. Uh, very impressive stuff. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Yeah, that's all their safeties. Their safeties are, have been playing yeah, great. That's... I agree. All right, so let's talk about the Penn State offense, what they're going to do. And you're right. It's all about Jahan Dotson. They have essentially – given up on trying to run the ball. None of these running backs are able to pull away and have explosive plays. So what the handicap comes down to is Jahan Dotson. That comes down to the corners. And if you look at the corners for Michigan, the person that's going to get tagged to be all over him is DJ Turner. 
And when you deep dive into PFF and what DJ Turner has been able to do, he's been targeted over 30 times. He's allowed eight catches this year and he's forced a dozen incompletions. Uh, they're going to be all over Dotson. I think that's going to shut down Penn state's attack. Michigan is eighth in the country in defensive finishing drives. There's no way for these teams to have explosive plays. Michigan's going to be ground and pound. Michigan has the defense to stop Jahan Dotson. And these defenses rank second and eighth in defensive finishing drives. For me, it's a no-brainer. There's a first half under 24 with the wet snowflakes. I would play the under 48 and a half, 48 being a very big key number in college football. But I felt more comfortable with the first half under 24. I would probably play full game under 48 and a half down to 48. All right, good stuff there. And, and you mentioned it. Make sure you tune into our live show, Big Bets on Campus Live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday on Twitter. We'll both tweet that out. Let's move on to the second marquee game of the day. Let's go to the Big 12. Oklahoma at Baylor. This is also at noon on Fox. Whoa! College football! Unbelievable! Man, I mean, this is going to be – this day is just – it's going to get crazy right away. Oklahoma 9-0, coming off of a bye here. They're laying five and a half at Baylor over under 62 and a half. All right. So I, I can't figure out who Oklahoma is. You know, if they're a really hard team to crack, they, they went, they beat Tulane by five. They beat Nebraska by seven. They beat West Virginia by three. They beat Kansas state by six. They beat Texas by seven. You know, they beat a reeling TCU team by 21. Fox scores closer than that. Barely beat Kansas. <laughs> needed a fourth down miracle to seal it. You know, then they, they blow out Texas tech and back a quarterback. I mean, these results, I mean, they're not impressive at all. And they haven't really played anybody. So, but you know, you had a quarterback change in the middle of that. You also have had defensive injuries. So, you know, when you look at the, the defense early in the year, they were great at defending the run over the last four to five weeks. That's stopped. There's missed tackles. There's the yards before contact went from elite to not. So I don't know what was going on. The pass defense has been bad all year long. Horrific. I mean, one of, I mean, one, literally one of the worst pass defenses in the country, just giving up explosive plays all over the place. They've, they, I think they've let up twice as many explosive passes than they did all of last year in eight games, you know, and, and they're only 79th at sack rate, even though they have, you know, Benito and Thomas off of the edge. But here's the thing, like, what do, what do I make about the defense getting healthier? Jalen Redmond, their best defensive lineman, is back. He missed time. Their best safety, Turner Yell, is back. He came back against Texas Tech. That means they moved Key Lawrence to outside corner, and they also have Royals now taking over at slot. That means Jalen Davis and Billy Bowman are off the field. That's huge. They stunk. They stunk up the joint. Pat Fields is still in there at safety. He's awful. Horrendous. I don't know where Oklahoma gets some of these defensive backs. So, but there's – you know, you got your best defensive lineman back in there. You got, you know, one of your starting cornerbacks, Graham. He missed a game. He's back. Turner Yale, your best safety's back. You moved Lawrence to corner, which looks like a smart move. So do I just do I say now that the Oklahoma defense is going to be improved? Really tough nut to crack. Baylor's offensive line has been really good. They're eighth in sack rate, sixth in opportunity rate. Jacob Gall from Buffalo has been great. But they haven't played many teams either. And then, you know, they lose the TCU. Was that just the spot? You know, they lose to Oklahoma State. They get a bit lucky against Iowa State. So two teams that are just hard to figure out, and they're about to hit the hardest part of their schedule. You know, it's just a, a, a hard game for me to cap. Part of me wants to say, let me make Oklahoma prove it. They, you know, all of these, not, but they just keep playing all these close games. 
the other part of me says, okay, they're healthier on defense. They're coming off a bye. Their offense is better with Kalen Williams in there. So help me make sense of this one. I think it's a high variance game. Maybe if you want to take Baylor money line, it might be the look in a round robin. But uh, curious to get your thoughts here. Well, I think Baylor can win this game. Now the market disagrees with me because right before you and I hit record here, the one of the one of the shops in Jersey just went from five and a half up to six and a half. And that is a direct reflection of Lincoln Riley finally showing up. Lincoln Riley was not on his usual press conference early in the week. Uh, his coach's show on Tuesday was canceled. The rumors flying around that he's on. LSU fans thought he was on a jet. Yeah, they thought he was on a jet. Uh, he USC. just came. <laughs> but he just came out to the media about an hour before we recorded and, and uh, said, no, it was a personal matter. I take care of some personal things. It's been dealt with. And now we're back on and no schedules have been disrupted. So maybe that's the reason that there's a bump in the market here going on. But I mean, oh, you get some players back on defense. Cornerback Woody Washington hasn't played since early September. He's supposed to be back. They desperately need full health against a Baylor rush attack of Abram Smith and and when Gary Bohannon leaves the pocket, like it's, it, it could be chaos against this OU defense. So, you know, I think full health is what we're going to get on defense. So we should see a little bit better performance than what we've seen the last few games. But there's a Baylor offense that's third in rushing success rate. They're ninth in line yards. They got a 60% clip to the rush, which shows you how much that they want Abram Smith and Gary Bohannon to be a, such a big part of that offense. It's kind of tough to see Baylor win this game after getting burnt by Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris, a quarterback that left OU because he couldn't get any playing time. But, you know, TCU had 10 passes over 15 yards. So that tells me that Caleb Williams is going to put up some of the best offensive numbers of the week. For all the contenders that are going for the Heisman Trophy, I think Caleb Williams would be like a fantasy play of the week against this Baylor secondary that is just progressively getting worse. 87th in defensive passing success rate. They're now outside the top 100 and big play prevention. They're allowing a lot of long plays from scrimmage. And, you know, BYU averaged 9.1 yards per play on standard downs. The Bears can't get people into passing downs. They can't get them off schedule. And so I, I think that's going to be a huge problem. So if Caleb Williams comes out throwing with an updated playbook, some wrinkles in there off of the bye week, then OU is going to be able to score a ton of points, big time advantages in both offenses and finishing drives. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. Baylor is going to be able to get their own, especially on the ground. I don't know why the, the number keeps going away from my projection of four. I know SP plus is around two. Uh, this number continues to go up. It could be the Lincoln Riley factor. It could be health on the defense factor. I'm going to get turned into buying Baylor here. Six and a half is way too many points. If everybody else wants to join it and give me a cheap seven, uh, it's going to be Bears all the way. Uh, listen, Aranda's had success against OU, against Lincoln Riley. This is a game where I'm looking at Baylor, and the number just keeps going the other way. Yeah, and I would agree at seven, Baylor would be hard to pass up. We'll, we'll learn a lot more about Oklahoma. Just a weird team. They've had a lot of defensive injuries and uh, two different quarterbacks, and they just had underwhelming results against teams that they should be beating by bigger margins. All right, let's move to the Big Ten. Let's talk Purdue, Ohio State. Ohio State, 20.5-point favorite, over under 62.5. The spoiler makers are going to try to beat another top 10 team. I think they've done it three straight the last three times Brahm has faced them. Now, the Ohio State, the last time these teams met, Purdue actually beat Ohio State. That was at the end of their Urban Meyer regime and knocked them out of the college football playoff. That was when glorious. Rondell Moore was nuts. It was glorious. 2018, it was glorious. glorious. Yeah, yeah, we were all over Purdue there. Purdue? F***ing Purdue? They're not even a real school. What the hell's a Purdue? Purdue obviously coming off that huge win against Michigan State. 
I thought I was going to love Purdue here, and I think I'm staying alive. You know, I project it close to 17. Now, there's issues. It's just an awful spot. We saw Purdue beat, Ohio, beat Iowa, and then they went out and laid an egg against Wisconsin the next week and lost 30-13. to 13. So what this comes down to is can, can Purdue pass on Ohio State, right, and can David Bell go off? Because they can't run the ball. Ohio State does not have to worry about the run. Purdue is one of the worst rushing offenses in the country. Can't do it at all. And then on the other side of the ball, can Purdue slow down Ohio State? And I'm starting to doubt that. Their defense is playing really well. It's a new aggressive defense. A lot of blitzes. George Carlathis is a first-round draft pick at defensive end. But, you know, you look at the last couple of games, what Purdue's defense did. I mean, you look at Wisconsin, Nebraska, misleading box where they put up seven yards per play. Michigan State got 550 yards of offense and seven yards per play. So I don't know if their corners – got to remember Trice, their best cover corner, their best man corner. It's an aggressive defense. He's out for the year. They only played two games this year. I think they really miss him. So early in the year, they were playing teams that can't really throw the ball, and their defensive numbers looked a lot better than they were. So I don't know if they can defend these Ohio State receivers – especially with get looks like Garrett Wilson will be back in, in the mix. Now there are some issues with this Ohio state team. When I, when I look at the offense, the interior offensive line is not playing well. They're not really running the ball the last couple of weeks. And did Penn state provide a formula? They were doing, they were doing all kinds of stunts and pre-stat motion with the, their defensive line. And it caused, it caused Ohio State's offensive line some issues. Nebraska, they couldn't run it. What did they have, 30 carries for 90 yards against Nebraska? Yeah. So Ken Purdue's defensive line, Purdue's been pretty good against the run, all things considered, if you look at success rate. So I think that, you know, and the other thing that I'm worried about is it came out that Penn State was calling out the plays, calling out Ohio State's plays before the snap. So is Ohio State, inside? there was rumors that Nebraska was doing the same thing. And, you know, with so is, is this offense becoming predictable? C.J. Stroud also won't run the ball. I don't know why. When he's rolling out, he, instead of th- getting 10 yards, he'll throw a pick. I mean, he's playing really well. He's got great receivers, but he makes some questionable throws. So I do have some questions about Ohio State's offense, but I do think that they, with their receivers against this Purdue secondary, from what I've seen, they should put up a lot of points here. It's also an awful spot for Purdue. On the other side of the ball, can Ohio State slow down Purdue and David Bell? You know, they have some talent on the outside of corner. I'm sure – now, what you have to do with David Bell is put a corner on him, put a safety over top of him. We've seen a couple teams do it. We've seen Wisconsin do it and slow him down. He's had some huge games, and he's had some you – know, I mean, look, Michigan State's one of the worst pass defenses in the country. We told you that they play soft. Will Ohio State go to two high safeties here, put a safety over top? Uh, you would think they're smart enough to do that, but I don't know. They really do miss Josh Proctor at safety. Shaw's been horrendous, and – there's been some missed assignments in the secondary. I expect Brom to use some trick plays here, and they're going to try to throw. Do you get really good O'Connell or really bad O'Connell? Because he can run very hot and cold. You know, when I look at everything, I, I just – it's my gut is telling me Ohio State rolls. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. My favorite version of Stucky is when he picks out a defensive back from Ohio State. And just picks on them all year, like Sean Wade, right? Sounds like we got a new uh, yep. candidate here for somebody to pick on. Sure. 
so uh, listen, I agree with you. And, and Ohio state made adjustments in the middle of the season. We talked about it at length. Kerry Coombs, not calling plays play calling got taken over. They simplified the defense, meaning they're not flipping their corners. They're not flipping their linebackers. And they decided to go to a two safety soft shell, which means that's what you have to have to defend David Bell. Right. So I what the changes that they've made for a couple of weeks are actually a good move when it comes to defending Aiden O'Connell and David Bell and similar to what Wisconsin did. So it was a good point out by you. And what Ohio State has done during the middle of the season kind of fits what they have to do to stop to stop the Boilermakers. And that's really where my biggest issues with Purdue come. They are really big on the explosive pass. And if that isn't scoring points, the red zone has been below the midpoint in FBS offenses. A modest three points. They can't run the ball. You need to be able to run the ball in the red zone. Some the the closer you get to the closer you get to the goal line, you're going to have to be better at running the ball because you don't have so much space to air it out. And they average three point four yards per trip past the forty. So say what you want about the Ohio State defense and and how they've been torn up. They only allow three point one points to offenses across the forty, and they now rank fourteenth in the nation in defensive finishing drives. I'll I'll say it a billion times: finishing drives is a key to finding out who's going to cover against the spread. And the Ohio State defense has the numbers here if the Boilermakers aren't scoring points on explosive plays, which, you know, from the way they've got their secondary set up, I think that they can prevent a few big plays here. But something that everybody needs to pay attention here, Ohio State's number one in the country in special teams per SP+. Purdue, 116th. Special teams matter. And in this case with Ohio State and Purdue, a monster gap. I'm buying Ohio State in this game. I think they score a ton here. I think they make a statement. Uh, they've made the defensive changes with the way that they're working two safeties. Buckeyes, I think they can make a statement. All right, let's cover this one quickly. We won't spend too much time on it. Georgia at Tennessee. Right now the line is sitting right around 20, 20 and a half, over under 56. Here's where I'm thinking with this game. Look, there's no way Georgia is going to keep allowing nobody to score inside the 20. I mean, what did – Florida had four trips inside the 20 without any points. Florida outgamed Georgia in that game, believe it or not, if you go back and look. But who is who is Georgia played from a quarterback perspective? I mean, we've said this. They haven't played any good passing offenses. Clemson, go look at EPA, total EPA for quarterbacks. DJ Ugalele, I think second worst among all quarterbacks in college football, by the way. Only uh, – Brady Olson for UMass is worst. You know, then they played UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Poverty, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, who outgained them, but that's not an elite passing offense. Missouri. So now they're going to play an NFL quarterback and a quarterback that's playing out of his mind. Uh, so I think that Tennessee's offense, which, by the way, maybe this is a bad thing. They're at average, what, 2.89 plays per minute, leads the nation. But I think that this is the first time that Georgia's defense really gets tested. Tennessee can put up some points. Now, having said that, I'm leaning – if this – like, I, I think there's too much value in Tennessee to pass up. If this guy, I'm waiting for 21. I don't know if we're going to get there. But I'm, I'm actually starting to think about Tennessee plus 11 first half. How many times have we seen Tennessee melt down late? I mean, by the way, this, this is a Tennessee offense that against Alabama had – Average more yards per play was was just another one a meltdown for us this year. But I don't know. Did you have them too? Did you have Tennessee against Alabama? I just 
threw money across as we're talking because I, I, okay. I already made my mind up. Uh, but seven, <laughs> it was a seven-point game in the fourth quarter. This is a team that moves the ball on everybody. But the only thing I'm worried about where I'm thinking about first half is Tennessee was on the field for – not only did they always melt down at the end. They were on the field for 45 minutes last week in Kentucky, their defense. Maybe they were just scoring on a – explosive plays in Kentucky to the ball. So does their defense wear down against Georgia's rush attack in the second half? It is a concern, especially because Tennessee plays so fast. Like, so I might be looking first half, but this line is too high. Thoughts? Way too high. Uh, it's a game I project 18. I don't think we're going to get a 21. I, I put a bet in. I just threw a nickel down on Tennessee and put it in the app. 20 and a half. If it lands 21, fine. I mean, I make it lower in the power rating. And I think there's too much value. And I know that Georgia's inflated every single week, but – Go and look at the list of teams that Georgia's played this year. Who has the highest tempo? <laughs> Auburn. Auburn's in the mid-30s. When you go and look at the rest of the schedule from Georgia, it's – Auburn has no receivers, too. Yeah, no receivers. I mean, it's it, Auburn may be running a tempo in the mid-30s, but it's not like they're out there slinging the ball, like a Hendon Hooker going deep. That, that just wasn't happening. And the number that I've been caught up on all week, like literally my finger's been hovering over the button to submit money – the team total on Tennessee is 17 and a half. Really? No one scored more than 13 on Georgia. Like, I, If you want to talk about fishiest line of the week, the Tennessee team total is 17 and a half. I, I don't know how you don't play that as an over and uh, as just for fun. But uh, listen, Georgia has not played any team with tempo. They have not played any team with a downfield vertical attack. This was my handicap against Florida. I was under the impression there'd be downfield passing. I was under the impression that somebody was going to take a shot at the Georgia secondary, which is green and young and untested. The only player that has on the entire schedule is Bo Nix. And Bo Nix doesn't have any even experienced wide receiver group. Bo Nix season in full effect. So it helps that Cade Mays is back on the offensive line for Hendon Hooker to give him some protection. It helps that there's some health going on. But look at the running back room for Tennessee. Tyon Evans banged up. Jabari Small, banged up. Looks like a freshman's going to be a running back. This isn't just going to be an up-tempo game for Hendon Hooker. It's going to be a vertical passing game for Hendon You don't Hooker. even want to try to run against Georgia. No, and why would you? Why waste your time on first and second down even trying that? So here's the deal. This is a boomer bust play. If Hendon Hooker is successful throwing vertically, which Georgia's not seen, and if Josh Heupel is successful running tempo against Georgia, which Georgia's not seen, Tennessee can make this a game, keep it a one possession game. And maybe they screw up at the end and we cover, right? Georgia's not been pressed like this before. They have not seen an offense like this. And at the same time, Tennessee's playing respectable defense, especially in havoc. They're 31st in havoc. They are getting back behind the line of scrimmage. Nobody has run tempo or thrown deep against Georgia. And, and, and where are we? We're almost to Thanksgiving. And this will be the first real test for Georgia. It's really crazy to say that. I'm all in on Tennessee. I think this number pulls back. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you see a 20 and a half, 20 out there, I think you should grab it. Not to mention this is Tennessee's fourth top 20 opponent in a row. Or I might get a little froggy at that Tennessee money line first half. Wish that I was on old Rocky Top down in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. I think we might disagree on this game. Let's go to the SEC. I think that you like Ole Miss, but Texas A&M, two-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 57-and-a-half. Calzada's playing a little better here. Here's my handicap with this game. 
this whole miss offense is trending downward there just because of the injuries. You mm-hmm. have injuries on the offensive line, injuries at wide receiver, Mingo's out. Sanders came back, was limited last week. Uh, you know, there's across the board, their top three receivers are dealing with injuries, the offensive line, Matt Corral, is he 100% healthy as far as his mobility? That's just not the same offense that we saw earlier in the year. And now they're going up against a really good Texas A&M defense. On the other side of the ball, Texas A&M should be able to run at will here. And I think it's that simple. And I think Texas A&M is going to find a way to win this game. I don't think it's going to be easy. But that's uh, my simple handicap is that this Ole Miss offense is not operating at the level that it was earlier in the year. So many injuries. This Texas A&M defense – I think could slow them down, especially that, that secondary, not dealing with Ole Misses with a full deck. And on the other side of the ball, Calzada's playing well enough, but how much is he really going to have to do here? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who gives a <laughs> We got Zach Calzada. Texas a should be able to line up and run the ball and have tons of success. What do you see here? Uh, Calzada should wear a label on his helmet that says, use only as needed. Sort of like some medication, you know. Listen, the number was an autoplay for me. It was two and a, it was a very much juice two and a half on Texas A and M. Uh, so I uh, paid the juice and got it up to three on Miss uh, on Ole Miss. Uh, and I probably rate this game as a pick. And I do plan on coming back on the other side if the opportunity is there. Uh, and it's just a for me, it was a trading game. It wasn't a thing where I love Ole Miss to death because there are certainly hesitations with them. But, you know, at the, at the same time, I can make a case for why they're going to win this game. It should be a scoring bonanza. Ole Miss defense continues to have one of the worst success rates in the nation and a big play prevention rank of 117th. It's not very good for your defense if you're the Rebels because Isaiah Spiller and Devin Shane are just two of the top 20 backs in FBS per PFF in the category of elusiveness. Uh, just take blocking out of it, take everything out of it. How hard is a running back to take down? These are two of the best in college football. Zach Alzada has looked better during this winning streak that they've had. He's had six turnover-worthy plays in the first three games. He's cleaned that up. He's now had only six turnover-worthy plays in the last six games. So he's making better decisions. Where, but I mean that we talked about this during the Arkansas game too. Like I got just burnt by my friends, by my colleagues, by everybody for taking Texas A&M in that Arkansas game. And then all of a sudden the real Texas A&M that I thought existed showed up because offensive line was hurt, Spiller was hurt, and now everybody's healthy. Where Texas A&M gets in trouble is finishing drives. So same thing I said about Purdue. If the explosive Aggie targets aren't scoring, that's a plus for Ole Miss because Texas A&M is not the best at putting seven up on the board. They settle for a lot of field goals. Now, as for Matt Corral, I had to read between the lines with Lane Kiffin's presser this week because I think he may be fully healthy back from that ankle injury. It's been a couple weeks now. And if you look at the box score against Liberty, it says – Six rushing attempts. Well, that's not really true. That's what happens when he gets pressure and he moves anywhere outside the pocket. The ESPN box score is going to say that was a rushing attempt. It was not a rushing attempt. He had zero designed rushing attempts. They purposely went slow against Liberty, and he purposely didn't leave the pocket. And if he is fully healthy, we are right back up to 19 seconds per play. So the big handicap is the Ole Miss offense going tempo. And when you listen to Lane Kiffin and his presser on Monday – he said something that caught my ear. He said, to beat a team like Texas A&M, you have to play extremely fast, fast enough to execute when the wrong personnel is on the field. What does that mean? Go deep Go deep into Texas A&M's defensive coordinator, Mike Elko, and what he does. He runs a 4-2-5. the sub. 
yeah. with D-line. He, he runs a 4-2-5 in standard downs, first and second down, and when it's third and long, he switches to a 3-2-6. If you're unfamiliar with what those schemes are, he pulls a lineman, he adds a dime, a dime defensive back. Ole Miss wants to catch that, nip that in the bud from the substitutions, which means they have to go as fast as possible. So Kiffin saying that, that that's the way that he has to attack Texas A&M, tells me this tempo is going to be insane. And if Corral's healthy, and that ankle's, what, two, three weeks? I mean, it's two, three weeks. We're fine now. We should be fine. So uh, Kiffin kind of tipped his hand there about what he's going to do in this game. The game should be lined as a pick. I took Ole Miss. I will buy back on AM during the game live, three or seven, whatever I can get. So I, I may be on a first half over here, but is the Calzada mistakes going to happen if they try to rush things and they get down by a score or two? So Ole Miss for me right now, live in game. I'm coming back on AM. Yeah, I don't want AM pregame. Like, I don't, I mean, I can get them, I think I can get them live, and I don't think there's a ton of value in the number, but I, I might join you on uh, this over. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that quote, but that's a good find. Uh, and yeah, it would make sense for them to do so with Texas A&M loving to, to sub out their defensive line. That's one of their biggest strengths. You can get those big guys in, you can get the pass rushers. You, so, all right, let's move on to the ACC and a game that will likely determine the division. <laughs> you hate saying that. Clemson, you, Clemson you, don't want Clemson, you don't want Clemson in this at all. You don't even want to mention them, do you? Yeah, it makes me sick. But <laughs> after two just prayer wins in a row. I don't want to write the game. I'm not writing Clemson in the ACC championship. I'm not doing it. You can have it. So NC State, Wake Forest two-point favorite, <laughs> over under 66 and a half. Uh, here's a difficult game. This is a difficult game in the handicap, in my opinion. So NC State, their defense has been excellent. Strength on strength there. The Wake Forest offense has been a juggernaut. Wake Forest defense is not a juggernaut. And the NC State offense is meh. But the NC State defense, their numbers are ridiculous, but they're down. They were down four starters. They're probably down five. They lost another defensive lineman, it looks like. But you look at who NC State has played. USF, Miss State, beat them by two touchdowns. Furman, Clemson's poverty offense. La Tech, who they beat by seven at home. They played BC's backup. They played... Miami at Miami's Miami's backup and lost. They played Louisville. They won by 15, but they they outscored them 21 to three in the fourth quarter. They were outgained 434 to 361. But my point is, you know, then they played Florida State last week and dominated. But Florida State right before the game has an outbreak of flu, and Mackenzie Milton's in there obviously because I bet Florida State with the assumption that that Jordan Travis is going to play. So they play another backup. So they haven't really played uh murderer's row of offenses on the other side of the coin. Wake forest hasn't played any good defenses. I, I mean, Virginia, old dominion, Norfolk state, Florida state, Louisville, Syracuse, army, Duke, UNC. So what we're going to find out which one, something's got to give here. And I'm, I keep going back and forth on this game. I don't think that there's a huge edge either way. I might just wait to jump in again live. There probably be an opportunity to get either one of these sides, given Wake's offense and Wake's defense. I might just eventually trust my boy Sam Hartman to get this done. And the NC State defensive injuries lost two. They lost their starting safety, two of their best linebackers, now two defensive linemen. 
I might just trust my boy Sam Hartman here. But it's really hard to handicap because the Wake Forest offense has been so good, but they haven't faced a good defense. The NC State defense has been so good, but they haven't faced a high-caliber offense, and they've faced a lot of backups. So what do you make of this? Yeah, really tough losses going on for NC State on that defensive line. They are third in the nation in defensive rushing success rate, and the Wolfpack, uh, you know, 21st in line yards on defense. So they've been really good against the run. Their pass rush is a different story, 81st in pass rush. So they weren't going to get any pressure on Hartman anyways. Now, Wake Forest defense, on the other hand, almost dead last in the nation in success rate. Anybody can run the ball on these guys. But the problem is, is NC State actually passes more than they run. And they're terrible at running the ball. They're 84th in the nation in rushing success rate. So uh, they are much more successful at passing the ball. They are fifth in the nation in havoc allowed, meaning they do not turn the ball over. They don't let people tackle them in the backfield. And they don't throw a lot of interceptions, which I think means NC State is going to be able to keep going in a slow grind. They're 94th in tempo. What's the best way to beat Sam Hartman and Wake Forest? Go as slow as possible on offense and keep the Wake Forest offense off the field. Uh, and that's where the handicap is. Sam Hartman is facing a 3-3-5 defense here. The last time he saw a 3-3-5, not that he isn't good enough to beat it. A lot of quarterbacks can't handle a 3-3-5, but Hartman can. But the last time he saw it, he went against Syracuse. The Orange limited Hartman to below national average in available yards, below national average in methodical drives. That means drives that last 10-plus plays. And the Deeks had zero rushing attempts that went over 12 yards. It wasn't their best offensive performance. You'll look at the score and see 40 points, but it was not Wake Forest's best performance against a 3-3-5 of Syracuse. So the NC State injuries, that may alleviate some of the problems here that Sam Hartman has. I think he's going to attack the line of scrimmage. I think he's going to attack the linebackers. I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of explosive plays against this NC State defense. I project the total at 60. We're at 66 and a half. I think Wake Forest is, you know, I, I understand what happened with North Carolina. Those are two teams that are willing just to trade explosive plays and haymakers. That's not NC State's offense. NC State wants to control clock. They want to grind it out. They want their possessions to be long. And then on defense, they're not going to allow any explosive plays. Or at least they're going to try not to allow explosive plays. They'll allow everything in front of them. And Sam Hartman has seen a 3-3-5, and it wasn't his best day against Syracuse. I'm taking the under here at 66 and a half. Don't hate it. All right. Uh, final game here. We can disagree. Here again, Nevada at San Diego State. When I say at, I mean it's in Carson, California, a couple hours from campus. This game is enormous for the division. The winner will take over sole possession of first place. Now, if they don't slip up again, the winner doesn't slip up again, they'll go on to the Mountain West Championship. Huge for our Nevada futures. But Fresno has beat both these teams, and they're one game behind. So if the winner of this game slips up, and Fresno wins out, and they have an easy schedule, Fresno's going. So it's going to be uh, an interesting race till the end. Here's my handicap on this game, and I wrote up this game. Look, San Diego State's offense stinks. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> Bottom, poverty offense. They're outside the top 100. They're, they're electric they're, and vertical. They, can't, they cannot throw the ball at all. They're bottom five in yards per – passing yards per game, bottom five in yards per attempt – this electric and vertical offense. It's a bad offense. What they try to do is lean on their running game with Bell, their defense, and then obviously their all-world punter. Their punter, by the way, we talked about, right? So he's only three quarterbacks in college football have a higher EPA per pass than his EPA per punt. That's it. He's worth about three points of the spread. You could argue four. 
it's close, maybe closer to four if you account for the fact that he's good on kickoffs and he's good on field goals too. This guy's worth literally three or four points to spread. Now, granted, you said how the how the f can a how the fuck can a punter be worth four points to spread? Well, if he was on Al- <laughs> if, if he was on Alabama, he wouldn't be. But when you have a elite punter on a bad offense with a good defense, that means field position is even more important, and you're punting a lot more. So San Diego State's punting all the time. So the amount like he impacts the game. They punt ten like ten times a game. And he's flipping fields. Last week in Hawaii, he had a 90-yard punt in the air. In the air. So what's really interesting is, and he's he's averaging like close to 52 yards per punt, higher than the NFL season, single season record, higher than the college single season record. I could go on and on and on. One of the interesting things, though, here is that he hasn't really faced many great punt returners. He did against Utah and Britton Covey, who took 180 through the house. My guy, Romeo Dubs, who in 2018 is a freshman, he – Asked his coach to go in when he was a freshman in a blowout. He's like, can I go in and return the punt? His first ever punt return in college uh, as a freshman, he took it to the house. He's one of the best punt returners in the country. I think Nevada's top 10 in punt return yards. So if he can go way back and get one of these with some space, I can't wait to watch that chess match. Best college football punting season in college football history going up against one of the best punt returners in the nation. Should be a fascinating chess match there. But when I look at this game, San Diego State can't throw the ball, and you can't really throw it against Nevada. That's their strength. Their strength is getting after the passer. They're secondary. They have some good players in the secondary. They don't put explosive plays. Their weakness, and, and San Diego State can't throw it at all. They have no receivers. The Lucas Johnson's like more of a runner. Just throw it out. San Diego State's not going to throw the ball well. So what San Diego State wants to do is run the ball. They're, you know, these two teams are polar opposites, by the way. Nevada wants to go fast and never run it. Their bottom five rush rate. San Diego State wants to go slow and always run it. They're top 10 in rush rate. But and if you look at the numbers, Nevada's run defense is horrendous. 125th, the bottom five basically in line yards, opportunity rate, rush success rate. I could go on and on. So you'd say, okay, San Diego State's going to be able to march down the field. Well, look, the San Diego State's running offense has been about average. It's deteriorating, man. I mean, it is – there's – every team now is just loading the box – and just saying, I dare you to throw, and they can't. If you look at what San Diego State has done over the last four games, against Air Force, 40 carries, 157 yards. Fresno, 33 carries, 165 yards. Not bad. San Jose State, 36 carries for 70 yards. Against Hawaii, poverty run day, 43 carries for 128 yards last week. I mean, everyone is just saying, you can't throw it. I don't care. So I actually think that Nevada – will be a little bit better against the run. Now, San Diego State will have some success, but this is just a bad offense. On the other side of the ball, Nevada can't run it at all. And you can't run it on San Diego State either. So just take that out of the equation. So is the San Diego State secondary capable of slowing down Carson Strong and the Nevada offense? I don't know if we can say for sure, but I can tell you that San Diego State has faced absolute poverty passing offenses. And we'll just do passing yards per game. Arizona, 86th. Utah, 85th. And that's when Brewer, before he transferred. Rising came in and then threw three touchdown passes, by the way. New Mexico, 126th. Air Force, 129th. San Jose State and their backup, 76th. Hawaii, 50th. And that doesn't even include Towson. There's the only top 40 passing offenses they faced. New Mexico State threw for over 300 yards against them. Fresno State beat them by double digits. And Jay Kaner threw for over 300 yards. I think... 
Carson Strong can make enough throws. And you're not going to need a lot of points to beat San Diego State. I think that they can stack the box, make enough stops, and their offense is just a little bit better, is more explosive. But there's one big but here that I'm waiting on. I need Cole Turner to play. So Cole Turner is an NFL tight end. He's Romeo Dubs is their explosive play guy. Cole Turner is the reliable red zone target, the reliable third down target. He's one of the best tight ends in college football. He got rocked last week against San Jose State in a dirty, dirty targeting hit. And he was out of the game. He's in concussion protocol. Is he going to play? I don't know. So I'm waiting on this because he is huge in this game. But I show value in Nevada. There's not much home field here. It's in Carson, California. But I know you're going to disagree. What do you got? You said it all, and I think you made a case for San Diego State. I mean, you pointed out a lot of flaws with Nevada. You pointed out a lot, of, a lot of reasons why they won't win this game. So, I, listen, the first bet I made was San Diego State as a pick when it opened up. I, that was a no-brainer. It's a game even without home field advantage. I made 2.7. The total, for everybody wondering, in suspense, I make 45.5, which is exactly where the market is. So there won't be any overs here. Aztec overs. No use in uh, me getting in trouble on Twitter late Saturday night unless it's 19 live and I decided to take an over. But listen, there's big advantages on both sides of the ball for San Diego State from what I see. San Diego State, I don't care if you load the box with 9, 10, or 11 players. San Diego State is going to get to the line of scrimmage and they're going to get two yards. And if that's the way this game is going to play out until they get down to the red zone, they're 100 two yards. So they're going to be put, they're going to be putting on fourth and four. <laughs> world's going to freak out when Matt Areza doesn't actually punt and just runs and, and, and converts a fourth down by himself. This San Diego State team, by the way, has won. They beat four of the worst teams in the country, including Towson. Yeah. And their other five wins, they lost to Fresno, the only team with a competent quarterback. They lost by double digits. The only other games that they've won were, you know, they beat Utah's backup in triple overtime. They yeah. beat San Jose State's backup in double overtime. They beat Air Force by seven. I mean, they've won every single game. But they just beat Hawaii by seven with 40 carries for 70 yards. This is going to be a close game. And I think Nevada's offense can make enough plays. And Nevada wins for the fourth year in a row against San Diego State in a game in the 20s by four or less. We need to change our capping style after all these years. Find the team with the horseshoe up their ass and start betting on them. Like, we never do that. We always pay attention to the numbers. And San Diego State... Is that team, that regression may come next year, but right now, Brady Hoke, he's getting all those close calls. But Matt Areza, uh, you know, putting Carson Strong on the one-yard line every time, it's a cheat code. He's a field position cheat code. So, listen, I, my numbers make it 2.7. It gets a little dicey at three. This could be a 9-7 ball game. But, you know, at two and a half, yeah, San Diego State. I, I, I'm not going to buy off I, of, of my pick on San Diego State. They're winning this game. Romeo Dubs takes one of the house. Heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Um, good stuff there. And before we continue, I do have a quick reminder to check out our friends, Three Man Weave, Kai McEwen, Jim Root, and Matt Cox, who are releasing bonus college basketball betting episodes every Wednesday morning here on the BBOC podcast. So if you're into betting college hoops, check out this week's episode. All right, let's go speed round quickly. I'll throw out a couple games here. Notre Dame at Virginia. Virginia, what, off at second EPA per play. Top 15 in EPA run and pass. Brennan Arm, their offense is electric. Kyle Hamilton, I don't think he's going to play for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's offense is rolling now with Kyron Williams. Virginia might have the worst defense of the country. They're 128th, 120th in EPA per play. This is this line's too high. This total's too low. 
This is over 64. This is Virginia plus five and a half. If Brennan Armstrong's playing, don't know if he's playing. Bronco Mendenhall said some, and eh, it didn't look great with his ribs. You got to wait on that news. Otherwise, it's a freshman playing. Uh, I'll also throw out Minnesota at Iowa. Padilla will start for Iowa. These are two slow teams. I, Minnesota's defense has been really good. You can't run against them. Do you trust this Padilla freshman to throw? Do you trust Morgan to throw against Iowa with uh, Riley Moss back? I, no, I don't see how this goes over 37 and a half. This is like a 13-10 game without flukes. I like the under there. I know that you want to maybe touch on Wazoo, Oregon, and Arkansas LSU. Woo, pig suey. Yeah, real quick on Arkansas LSU. I mean, this is crazy respect to see the Hogs listed as a favorite in Baton Rouge. I mean, the game against Mississippi State was sloppy, a ton of penalties, miscues, and execution. Mississippi State passing attack took advantage of an Arkansas secondary that doesn't have Jalen Catalan. The big news for LSU is this new blitz package they unleashed on Alabama. They overloaded certain sides of the offensive line. Sometimes they just rushed three and dropped eight. Sometimes they disguised a 4-3 and let Mike Jones, a transfer from Clemson, just stunt up the middle. That's going to be a heck of a test for the Arkansas offensive line, but that's the name of the game when you want to get K.J. Jefferson in pressured and making bad decisions. As far as the run game goes, LSU stuffed 14 of 22 attempts by Alabama. Dominique Johnson is a great running back for Arkansas, and we have a lot of guys that can run the ball, but LSU is playing some – uh, all of a sudden, they're playing defense from a rushing perspective and from a blitz perspective. Oh, and guess who comes back? Cordell Flott, shutdown corner, coming back for LSU. He is the next generation of shutdown corners for the Tigers. You can expect him to go one-on-one with Traylon Burks, going to keep him limited. The other news for LSU, Garrett Newsmeyer, the freshman with the cannon arm, is going to play. We were scouting this kid in the summer. Coach O called him dynamite, that he has the it factor. The problem is he's got too much Brett Favre in him. He will try to throw into windows that aren't there, but a just an absolute cannon of an arm, and that's going up against an Arkansas secondary, missing one of their best players for the rest of the season. I think this is way too much respect for Arkansas being a favorite down in Baton Rouge for an LSU team that has not given up whatsoever. I'm taking LSU money line in the first half. The spread's an overreaction to Arkansas being bowl eligible. The perceived notion that Coach O isn't, has mailed it in. He hasn't. No, there will be no celebrating to beat Arkansas. They haven't beaten anybody in a long time. So uh, we're supposed to win that football game. There's no question about that. Not sure what happens full game. LSU is going to win this first half. By the way, Arkansas, they, they have lost the first half four games in a row. Four SEC games in a row. They were trailing at halftime. LSU money line first half. So Sam Pittman doesn't have him ready to play. The only thing that uh, I would be concerned about there is just an LSU letdown. Like they put so much into that Alabama game. Yeah. Um, now, granted, it's at home, but, but like didn't play. they were right there. Like, do they just are they just a little flat? But That's this new Smyre kid is fired up. If you know anything about this new Smyre kid for LSU, his parents and Coach O have been on the same page about burning his red shirt and about when he's going to get playing time. They said, we do not want our kid playing until he gets serious playing time. So this this kid is a huge change of pace for Max Johnson. Yeah. Well, does he get confused against the Arkansas D? That's another thing to be yeah. worried about. But no, but no Catalan is, is, is big. Uh, anything on Wazoo, Oregon, which if Washington State wins this game, they will leap into first place in the Pac-12 North, 14-point dogs against I- Oregon. I would not be surprised to see Washington State win this game. First off, it's the Pac-12. Second wow. off, the way that you beat Oregon is to run the ball. And then you say, well, this is Washington State. They pass the ball all the time. 
they ran more than two times, two and a half times more than they passed the ball against Arizona State. I understand there was five turnovers in that game and the Sun Devils pissed it away. But Max Borgie is now, after like being, I don't know where he's been. Like if he's been locked up in a cave for two years, but all of a sudden Max Borgie is getting carries again. And that is the way that you beat Washington. That's what you beat Oregon is you have to run the ball. Wazoo, uh, something's going on up there. They're playing hard for their interim coach. And Oregon is not the kind of team that covers double-digit spreads at home. This is a sandwich spot. Monster game at Rice Eccles next week. Washington State to cover. Uh, I can see it in the market. There's some sharp money knocking this down to 13 and a half. Wouldn't be surprised if they got this home. We sure have a lot of sandwiches. 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 And these are the strangest-looking sandwiches I've ever seen. All right, let's move on. That would be something. Let's move on to... The stick of the week. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. Uh, Stink of the week. Fitchiest line out there. It's got to be Wisconsin lane 24 and a half. Who wants to lay 24 and a half points with with Wisconsin? I think that's (laughs) the side, and they're telling you that. But who wants to lay 24 and a half? With Grant Mertz, uh, they Northwestern probably get shut out. This Wisconsin team is rolling right now. Well, I think the important thing is that Ches Malusi is questionable for this game. Uh, he looks like he is not going to play. And you would say, well, that's bad for Wisconsin, right? Because Ches Malusi is the guy that likes to line up and try to run everybody over. Braylon Allen is not getting enough credit. That kid went crazy last week against Rutgers is the reason they put up a 50-burger. And if he's going to get all the carries in this game, I mean, that kid's legit. I don't know where he's been. I don't know. The, the Jalen Burger's out. You know, we got we got Ches Malusi on the sidelines. This Braylon Allen kid is legit. You want to yeah, know my man. stink of the week? Yep. How the Sam Hell is Clemson minus 41 and a total of 51? How are they scoring 42 points? Are they scoring 40? How is this total 51? I'm just talking from a stink perspective. Uh, I didn't know Clemson was capable of scoring 42 points in a game. I mean, you look at you look at the box score. Like DJ finally picked it up and finally found some receivers, but it's still like a fifty percent completion rate. I know it's UConn, but I don't know how this game is getting over fifty-one, and I don't know how Clemson is covering forty-one because I didn't know they were capable of scoring forty-two points. That's the grossest line of the week. Well, I have something in store for you later, but let's get before we get out of here. Let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, uh, before we go, first down. Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. Wyoming at Boise. Boise 14-point favorite. Cincy at USF. Gross. I think Wyoming's too many points here. Do we have to take them? I don't know what's going on with Wyoming. Uh, They're they're covering games. They were a three-point underdog when I thought they should have been a three-point favorite, and that was an easy win. Now it's a game where I project them to be 7.6 underdogs to Boise State going to Boise State, a team that historically doesn't really cover that well on the blue turf. And so, I, you know, when you look at the defensive line metrics, Boise's 114th in offensive rushing success rate. They're not going to have any luck running the ball whatsoever. And then Wyoming's fifth in coverage. It's again, I don't know what is going on with the odds makers and the way that they are aligning Wyoming. I will I will be on Wyoming here, Cincinnati, South Florida. I, sorry, I don't know how we're betting. I don't know how anybody's betting Cincinnati at the same time. Timmy McLean is back. Looks healthy, uh, running the ball pretty well here. I'm trying to make a case for South Florida. The number. Yeah, this is a number that I projected uh, Cincinnati minus 
20 on the road. We're sitting at 23. Finally, odds makers are figuring out that they just can't put a tax on a team that's close to making the college football playoff. There's value on it, I think, uh, you know, down to 21. I, I bet you it moves pregame uh, down to about 21 and a half or 22. Uh, so, I, listen, you know, Timmy McLean's had some had some really big showings. They're, they have busted some big plays this year on offense, uh, and they're playing much better the second half of the season than they were the first half of the season. Their defense is still atrocious, but uh, Cincinnati's not worth anything right now. So I, I would actually take a little flyer, a little bit of money across the counter on South Florida. All right, let's move on to second down here and talk our favorite overdog and underdog. Oh, by the way, I got to get a Bo Nix season in. Kind of lean Miss State, but Auburn did a good job taking stopping that air raid with Waters in the finale last year. But I want to get a Bo Nix. Bo Nix season in full effect. In there. <laughs> second down, favorite overdog, favorite underdog. Uh, I'll start. Favorite overdog, Clemson. 40 and a half. <laughs> You're killing uh, me. I think – I think that they win. Look, UConn is done. This team, I mean, this is just 45 to 12, the middle Tennessee state. They played two competent teams all year, Purdue and NC state. They lost 49, nothing and 45, nothing. They're not scoring in this game. You can bank on that. Uh, this is like typical asshole Dabo game at home. It's been a disappointing year. They haven't really had much to cheer about there. I think they're going to keep their foot on the gas. UConn can't stop a nosebleed. Yeah, favorite overdog of the week is going to be Oregon State for me. You're going to notice that this point spread is well higher than the projection that we have over at Action Network, and that is because Tanner McKee was questionable for this game. David Shaw said on Tuesday, Monday that if Tanner McKee is not practicing by Wednesday, he won't play in the game. Tanner McKee did not practice yesterday, yesterday being Wednesday, so he is not going to play, and the statement was made, true freshman Ari Patu is poised to make his first start. That's right. We're going down to the bottom of the depth chart from David Shaw and heading straight into Ari Patu, uh, who has a bright future at Stanford, a quarterback that he wanted really bad. But we're going to fast forward that and get that done now. Oregon State running the ball, fifth in the nation in offensive uh, rushing success rate. Stanford, next to dead last in defending the rush. Uh, overdog, 13, 12 and a half, whatever. The Beavers are going to roll here against a freshman quarterback. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. My favorite underdog, Florida State, baby. Jordan Travis is back. That's all I need to know. Uh, Miami can't tackle. Miami makes dumb mistakes. This Florida State offense has been so good with Jordan Travis. Unfortunately for us, there was a flu outbreak and he got ruled out five minutes before kick last week. He's back at practice Sunday, as were all of the Florida State players that were missing. Great reports out of practice this week. I think Florida State gets this done. Give me the Knowles. Underdog, great spot of the week for Tulane. I know they're one and eight. I know the numbers are atrocious. There's some bad weather here. It's all going to be on the ground. Tulsa, a heartbreaker of a loss with uh, Davis Brynn diving at the half yard line to not push a game against Cincinnati into overtime. They, you know, now they have to go on the road, face a Tulane team. And you may say one and eight, but guess what? They've covered the last two. It's not pretty. They're not scoring a ton of points. But guess what? They're covering games, and they're actually still hanging in there despite the fact they have no postseason in their future whatsoever. Tulsa's in a huge flat spot here. 113th in offensive finishing drives on offense. 107th in defensive finishing drives here. I think Tulane can do enough on the ground, keep this close, get the win. Green wave, I, I love them. I even got a helmet of them right here behind me. 
great spot for Tulane. And I mean, they've been in some games, but we're right there. I mean, they lost a five to Oklahoma to start the year. Yeah. And they got a little, maybe a little payback on their minds from last year against Tulsa and Tulsa miracle had a miracle to tie that game to get it to overtime and then had a pick six uh, to finish it out in overtime for that win. All right, before we get out of here, one final task, and that's our favorite bet of the weekend. I'll start here. Uh, I'm gonna. This is going to be one that you don't agree with. I think that you're on the other side here. My favorite bet of the weekend is Georgia State plus 10.5 against Coastal Carolina. I make this game around 17 with Grayson McCall, who's out. I have him worth – 10 points to the spread. It's one of the, I think the most important player in all of college football to his team. If you look at it, total EPA for a quarterback, he's number one in the nation. Uh, this offense with him, complete juggernaut. But this coastal team overall hasn't really impressed me this year. And here's who they beat. Citadel, Kansas. They beat Buffalo by three. UMass, ULM, Arc State. These are the most poverty defenses. These are the five or six worst defenses in the country. They lost to App State. They beat Troy by seven at home. And then they just beat Georgia Southern 28 to eight in a monsoon. A Georgia Southern team that is awful. But in a game that was 0-0 with four minutes to go in the first half. And then you have fumble at their own 30, touchdown. Georgia Southern fumble at their own 30, touchdown. Punt block, touchdown, 21 nothing game over. This Coastal team has played nobody. And I think that their defensive line is – whole defense front is vulnerable to Georgia State's rushing attack. This Georgia State defense is playing better of late. And motivation. Georgia State last year, who lost a number of close games, they lost they one possession games to App State, one possession game to Louisiana, lost at home to this Coastal team 51 to nothing. And it was embarrassing. They were talking about it all week. Uh, I think they're going to come out with their hair on fire here. They're playing for bowl eligibility. They need to win out. If they win this game, they're going to have a really good shot because they close with Arkansas State and Troy at home. So I think you get their max effort here. I think Grayson McCall is that important. Coastal Carolina has not impressed me against the teams that they played that weren't the five worst defenses in the country. Give me the Panthers plus 10 and a half against Coastal Carolina. We're certainly going to find out how much Bryce Carpenter is worth. I mean, he's been there for four years. He knows the offense well. And this week, they'll actually be able to tailor the offense to his skill set, which is like Grayson McCall light. Uh, so we'll certainly see what the drop off, the value over replacement player, the term we use in baseball, what we get here. As yeah, I have 10 points. So maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's that important. The San Diego State, that is my favorite play of the week. I'm going to stick with that. But I'm going to flip over and I'm going to take Missouri. <laughs> I'm going to take Missouri over South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina is going on the road. They just beat Florida by what 30. And that's because Florida had 30 players on an IV stricken with the flu. South Carolina heads over to Missouri, a Missouri team that covered Georgia first time of the season. Missouri's actually covered a game. They did it without their quarterback, Connor Bazelak. Connor Bazelak is back this week. Missouri's at home catching a point. I see some picks out there. Uh, th this is just a game right here where it's just complete overreaction. Uh, there is going to be a lot of betters and a lot of sides that are on South Carolina against the Missouri team. But, I mean, let's face it. I mean, Drinkwitz was still driving as hard as he could in the last couple drives of that game against Georgia to beat South to get to South Carolina. There has been a lot of luck 
factor into South Carolina's games. They've won some games this year where their uh, post-win probability was below 50%. Uh, South Carolina does not deserve to go to a bowl game, even though they probably are going to. But this is a great buy-low spot on Missouri, a team that's still trying and gets their starting quarterback back from injury. (laughs) Missouri for me. All right, so there you have it. We've covered about 25 games in an hour and a half. We won't find that anywhere else out there. We appreciate all of you listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review. I'll do some giveaways on our recap episode, which will be out on Monday. Make sure you check out check out our group of five episode. Those guys have been killing it. Three-man weave episode as well. Sources with Colin and Brett McMurphy. And then our live show, Big Bets on Campus, live 1038 a.m. Eastern on Twitter. Appreciate all of you listening. Let's get hot. Let's close this year out strong. It's time for us to go find some last-minute winners. Be sure you check out also the Action Network app at actionnetwork.com. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. <laughs>